You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to Profiles in CRM, Episode 11. I'm your host, Chris Webster. Profiles in CRM asks CRM professionals eight simple questions. The answers vary wildly depending on their experience and education. Because of the nature of contract archaeology and how small this field really is, some people choose not to reveal their name or the company they work for. Stay to the end of the show to hear how you can have a chance to answer these same questions. What is your name and who do you work for? My name is Margaret Hangen and I am the forest archaeologist for the Kaibab National Forest here in northern Arizona. Okay, and you know, for clarification, I, is there just one forest archaeologist for the Kaibab Forest, or is there more than one? <laughs> Actually, um, I am the program manager. We are very fortunate in the Kaibab. Where we have a total of six archaeologists in the program. Nice, nice. Okay. Um, all right, so how long have you been working in cultural resource management? I have been in cultural resource management um, officially, or I should say professionally, uh, since about 1989. Wow. Okay. And you've worked for the forest for how long? Actually, I worked for the forest. I've worked for the Forest Service for 10 years. Prior to the Forest Service, I was with, with the Bureau of Land Management okay. as a student intern, actually. And then um, prior to that, I was a shovel bum. I worked contract work for a good 10, almost 15 years. Okay. Well, I've got a question about that coming up later. And actually, I might end up redoing the order of these because it makes more sense. But anyway, what is the position you usually have in CRM and what's the highest position you've attained? And this is, you know, crew chief, field tech, stuff like that. And I know you're, you'll, you know, say what you're doing now at the forest. Uh, sure, this sure. Is just set a baseline. Sure. Yeah, as a baseline. I mean, in terms of field work, uh, you know, I've, I've actually been project managers and as well as um, uh, field uh, crew leader. Uh-huh. Um, uh, my current job, however, is, is literally I'm the program manager. So mm-hmm. what that means is that it's my responsibility for making sure that Section 106 is complied with for the entire forest. I'm also responsible for making sure that all the sites that we have identified on the forest, and the Kaibab actually has a huge amount of sites. We probably have more sites than identified on this forest than any, almost any other forest in the nation. We have um, 10,300 sites that we have identified. So it is, yeah, so it's my responsibility for making sure that all that information regarding those sites is managed correctly, um, that those sites are um, protected um, or, and or um, preserved uh, to the best of our abilities. And any time that's in a uh, proposed project on the forest, that um, is my responsibility making sure that we consider the effects to, to any of the sites that might be um, in the way of that proposed project. So, um, and I, I'm also the one who's in charge of making sure that we can uh, consult with the tribe uh, correctly, that we also consult with the state historic preservation officer, and in some cases consult with the advisory council on historic preservation. So in the private sector, you'd be more akin to like a principal investigator right now. Absolutely. The difference between me and a principal investigator is the fact that I actually have a land base that I am responsible for, as opposed to a principal investigator who's brought in for project-specific um, types of situations. Um, and there are advantages to both. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm very much tied to a, a, a piece of the ground. Okay. All right. So... Besides the Kaibab, where have you worked in this uh, in this grand country? I actually 
I'm from California originally. I grew up in the Los Angeles area. I went to a, a small private college called uh, Pixar in Claremont, California. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started out in California archaeology. Um, and then my professionally, as literally the day after I graduated from Pixar, I headed to northern Nevada and spent a couple, several years working in the Great Basin. Okay. So that includes Nevada and uh, Utah, southern Utah in particular. Um, so, and then I returned back to California, spent about 10 years in the Mojave Desert. Okay. Um, uh, both for private as well as for, um, federal government. And then right now I'm in Arizona. Um, and my actual research interest is really more historic archaeology rather than prehistory. I do prehistory, I manage prehistory, but in terms of my personal research interest, it's actually historic. All right. So here are the fun questions. What is the best thing that's happened to you that's related to being an archaeologist? And that can be personal, professional, you know, whatever. It wouldn't have happened if you weren't an archaeologist. <laughs> well, it wouldn't have happened if I wasn't an archaeologist. Uh, the best thing, well, honestly, that's a hard question to ask because there's a <laughs> lot of things. I was you know, answer a lot of things that happen because I'm an archaeologist. As an archaeologist, particularly as a land manager, I, I work a lot with the tribes, and honestly, that's probably one of the most um, rewarding things that I do. Uh-huh. We also work with the public quite a bit. We we um, have volunteer projects that we do every year through a program called Passport in Time. Sure. And and so we bring in people, um, oftentimes retired people, but still very active who come in and, and are very interested in getting involved in reporting sites. and. And working with them is, is wonderful. It's, re, it's a renewal. It reminds you why you do archaeology because they're so wide-eyed and, and so interested. And it's so wonderful to have an opportunity to, to, to teach them what you know. Um, we also work a lot with young people, uh, kids especially. Um, and I and people can't know don't know this because it's a podcast, but I'm African-American, which means that I'm one of the few African-American archaeologists who works in this part of the country. Right. And I'm one of three in the Forest Service. So it's really important to be an example to young people, um, to give them hope that, you know, show them that this is something that they, too, could do. They see me, they can see themselves in me as, as this could very well be a career opportunity for them. So I, I think not only just the archaeology part of it, the public part of it, um, putting a public face on archaeology, that's extremely rewarding to me. Awesome. You know, it's interesting... You know, you mentioned being an Afri- African American because I think I've only met a handful personally met a handful of African Americans in archaeology, and that coincidentally, one of my now good friends who's on the other podcast with me, who might be on the interview with you next week, um, is Bill White, and he's in Arizona right now. He's down in Tucson. <laughs> oh no, kidding! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there there aren't there is when I got into this business, I was I was in archaeology for probably. Four or five years before I met, met another African American. Um, so there are there's there's I think younger generation there may be more who are coming in, um, and I certainly hope so. Um, but it, it'd be really nice to see more people of color get into to archaeology. I think um, they bring a new perspective that'll help broaden broaden the conversation. For sure. Well, and not only that, but starting in 1989, I mean. Not only were you are you African American, but you're a woman as well, and there probably weren't too many of those in 1989 as well. Absolutely. In fact, when I got into archaeology, it's really interesting that I ended up in the federal government because when I got into archaeology, I was told several times, well, you're a woman, you're black and you're a woman, you should go for a federal job. 
which meant that that was the last thing I wanted to do. <laughs> I, I, I said, no, no, no. Hi, CRM company. I'm coming. You know, where am I going to land next week? I'm going to stay. And I spent, you know, the next uh, six years living at a hotel. So, um, I did end up in the federal government, but, um, I really wanted to be here because of what I could do and not what I was. So, um, it's been, so it's kind of funny. I still ended up in the federal government. Well, it turned out that was probably good advice anyway, because that's the only place you can get consistent work and benefits in CRM. (laughs) (laughs) There there is some truth to that. And I, you know, I certainly lived on the edge for many, many years, but that was a very, very valuable experience to have before I came to to the federal government. I, I, um, we can tell there are a lot of federal government archaeologists who, who have not had that experience. And, and I feel um, that it would be very helpful to them if they did spend a few years seeing it from the contractor's side. Right, right. Okay, let's go on to another question here. Now, you can answer this question from the uh, standpoint of when you were a shovel bum, basically, uh, or for, as an agency archaeologist. But what is the biggest thing you would change that would make being a CRM archaeologist better? Ah. I think one of the frustrations I had when I was still a shovel bum, and I and it may have changed, and I hope it has changed, um, was when you're you know when you're hot and heavy working and you're all over the place, it's really difficult to keep on top of the jobs that were available, right. um, and being able to uh, keep your resume up, making sure with a process where where to find out jobs. I know there are now web based places where people post jobs, etc. So that was a real frustration for me. And also um, requirements now for for doing CRM. Um, I know more and more people are requiring people, you know, folks who get into doing basic field work uh, that they're required to have, you know, BAs and oftentimes in some cases master's degrees. And you're competing with people with those degrees, which is fine. But I've often wondered that, you know, especially for really technical jobs, if if this is something with, that could be handled uh, more on a technical level, um, you know, at a, at a community college level, um, opening it up to people who, who might not have considered getting the CRM, um, who are not really committed to are not ready to commit to a four year degree, but were interested in it, perhaps interested in enough. And we might consider the idea of. of you know, training up people who are just purely technicians. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the thoughts I had with it back in the days when I was still in CRM. And I'm sure things have changed because I've been out of the game for a good 10 years now. Um, but from what I observe, so I work with contractors on the other side now, and I see that some of that is still lingering. But it may do, it'd be different depending on which state you're working in, which region, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so... Here's another question related to career. Um, what is your career goal in CRM? Where would you like to see yourself end up? Um, I actually am pretty much where I wanted to be. Um, uh, the nice thing about being a land manager as opposed to a CRM person is, again, with a land manager, you're literally land-based. Um, so you really can um, affect change. Um, and that you really, um, what you do, you develop policy, you come with budgets, you uh, deal with all sorts of programs in which you actually are doing preservation and protection. Um, you can help change and shape 
the future of the management of cultural resources through management plans. And also you get a chance to participate in the development policy. Um, I work quite a bit with the Arizona SHPO. Um, we're developing uh, guidelines for doing tri uh, tribal consultation. We're working on tribal consultation workshops right now. So I was really interested in helping to um, work in the kind of the more policy realm um, and make it a little more accessible to people and, and, and the public, et cetera. So that's, that's uh, where I'm at, and I really enjoyed this, that aspect of, of, of cultural resource management. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, the last question, if you could give an undergrad thinking about CRM or a career in CRM one piece of advice, what would that be? Just keep at it. Just keep at it, and and don't get discouraged. And um, do not, you know, be willing to try anything. I think what happens is we get kind of stuck in that there's only one way to do CRM, uh, when in fact there's multiple ways to to crack this nut. Um, so you need to be open uh, to uh, change. Uh, you need to have an open mind to a variety of different ways to do CRM. And you need to be open to looking at new types of cultural resources and learning from all the people who have been doing it um, for many, many years. Because they have a lot to teach you. There's a lot of things, those, those books that you you were forced to read in college, <laughs> simply don't, they can't teach you. They can't teach you. There's nothing that um, you, that there's no substitute for experience. There really isn't. So the more experience you get out and get, the better off that you will be um, in, in terms of uh, being effective in cultural resource management. That's good advice. Re realizing that there's more than more than one way to do this is uh, something I've I've been trying to tell people, and I've I've heard it from a few other people, and it seems to be a um, it seems to be the way forward. So it really is. It really is, especially the way that technology is now really changing the game. Mm -hmm. Um, that is where it's at. I mean, that's face it. Um, and but I think it's really important to know the old school way. Don't rely on technology alone. But um, you know, you need to be open to it all. But we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. Did aliens build Stonehenge? Did the Easter Island statues walk? Did Vikings colonize Midwest America? What does mainstream archaeology have to say about all this? Listen to the Archaeology Fantasies podcast and learn about popular archaeological mysteries. Hoax or fact? Learn to tell the difference with Dr. Ken Fetter and co-host Sarah of the Archie Fantasies blog. Check out the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash Fantasies. Now let's get back to the show. But we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. Show notes for this and all episodes can be found on the Archaeology Podcast Network website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash profiles. At that page, you'll also find a form that you can fill out so you can be interviewed on the show. Interviews take less than 30 minutes and you don't need any special equipment. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the field. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. 
contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.